Hi, my name is Christian Adolfo, all for a quick thing on Afrobeats, and you're listening to Books of Abner podcast. guys, welcome to Books with Abna. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Christian Adolfo, author of A Quick Tin on Afrobeat, published by Jacaranda Books in 2022. A Quick Tin on Afrobeat chronicles the social and cultural development of the explosive music genre, tracing its rich history from the African continent all the way to the West. This exciting new book takes a unique look at the music of the African diaspora delving into how Afrobeat and its subgenres can have, have provided new articulations of Black identity and pride. Now, I'm just going to read a quick um, thing about our guest. Christian Adolfo is a writer, journalist, and creator with a passion for writing about intercession of heritage and identity in music. His writing has appeared in The Garden, OK Africa, and Straits No Chaser, he has also appeared as a guest and host on BBC Radio, Worldwide FM, and NTS Radio, dis- discussing Black identity and its impact on culture in the UK and abroad. Hi, Christian. Hi, Abner. How are you? I am good. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I was, I was speaking to your producer before, and he told me that this room has been a base for many different podcasts and many different illustrious that's, guests. That's so it's a privilege to be here. Okay, so how's home treating you so far? It's good. You know, I've not been getting dirty in December. I've been more relaxing. <laughs> oh, do you see, this This is the first. Somebody who hasn't been getting dirty in December. Is there anything in particular you miss about Ghana when you're in the UK? Food, music, places, people. What's the one thing you miss about the motherland? I think sometimes it might be a source of frustration for some people coming over, but I think it's the general laid-back energy so you know everyone loves to say please at the start and end of a sentence well and um i think that but that politeness goes a long way you know coming from a place like london where everybody's on a hustle always on a move trying to squeeze into the tube like a pack of sardines like being here and having that sense of calm and the weather and just some nature to look at definitely helps to for me to kind of quell my mind and think about other stuff creatively. Okay. But what makes you happy when you're here? When I'm here? Oh, going to my local fruit fruit cellar and going to buy some some mangoes and some, some fresh bananas. And what I like about the interaction is that even though my, my tree is a bit rusty, <laughs> she allows me to, to speak Skikid. freely and, yeah. not, and not correct me too much okay. which is nice so yeah I think that's good okay so we would get right into it when did you first become aware of Afrobeats and what led to your love for Afrobeats so I guess it would have been via my brother he was he is somebody who's always been very passionate about DJ and the music so this would have been around maybe 2007 2008 and he used to host um, club nights when he was at university so he used to DJ and bring a lot of this music through he had a website um, and 
it was almost like Ghana motion style where he'd always put a lot of Ghanaian, Nigerian artists nearly every day. Wow. Putting the tracks on, putting, eventually I would do interviews with him with like some artists from here as well. But like, that was the kind of first time I'd start to listen and take more kind of pride in the, the movement. Okay. But you've always listened to Ghanaian music, right? Yeah. Or Nigerian? Yeah. I mean, obviously I've gone, gone in first year, but yeah. Your book, let's let's go into the book. You published in 2000, no, 2022. Yeah. How has the world received the book so far? It's been good. It's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, The first, I mean, when it first came out, I think when I was weary of places being open so people could actually come together so we could actually enjoy it together. That was the big thing for me. And then we've now done the, the kind of format of when I've done events is each chapter we play a song from a genre or linked to um, a theme. And then it gets people, their mind goes back to maybe when they first heard the track or stir some kind of memory. So then someone will start, people will stand up, maybe start dancing. It's not like a typical event where people might just sit down and not move. If, like I say, everyone should be interactive. They should respond to it. If you want to ask questions during, ask questions. So it feels like a, a community rather than me talking down. To so people. that's that's really nice. I mean, I can just imagine how that, that, that would feel like yeah, yeah. having to play the music whilst everything is going. Yeah, and I think we're, we're publishing a lot of the time it's just very like, it can be very one dimensional, but when you come from um, a vibrant heritage, vibrant background, like a lot of us do, whether we're on the continent or whether we're away in the West, it's always good to have this as a kind of cultural medium through music that you can feel alive and, and let your body feel awakened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I just want to talk about researching, writing, interviewing, and how this book came to be how long did it take you to put everything together eventually write and then edit and then publish and land the publishing deal walk us through the journey and put it in dates i i would really appreciate some time to it as well so really we have to go back to we back to 2011 Ooh. for december 2010 I think if I'm honest because excuse me I'd finished university and I was doing like part-time jobs but I started doing blogging when people used to do blogging a lot yeah like in MySpace era and I remember one of the first blogs I wrote was I think I call it the high life or the hip life and then I was going down these massive YouTube holes where I was finding a lot of like hip life, high life, Afrobeat songs that some some of which I knew the song titles of, but others of which I just knew by like the rhythm and the memories of being in these hall parties and family gatherings. So I posted about a lot of these songs, talking about the memories that I attached to them. And then fast forward a year later, in 2011, I was able to do an article with the, the Guardian newspaper in in England and the the base of the piece was songs which remind black British stars of their African heritage 
So I was able to speak to people like um, Skepta, Sway, Tinky Strider, Estelle, Deneo, loads of different people. And it was nice because I feel like at that point, Afrobeats would start to rise. And then as well as that, a lot of these artists, I don't think they'd ever been able to explore another side of their their motherland or their mother, mother tongue in some way or some connection. So it was nice to get all of them to pick a track, talk about the values in the songs which relate to them. And, you know, fast forward to, to now and especially we are where everyone has a lot of pride with regard to where they're from and their music. Um, I felt like in the book, I took a lot of, a lot of the interview transcripts. They didn't maybe fit the original article. So a lot of it was still relevant now. 10 years later, I was able to put into what I wrote in the, in the chapters. Yeah, 10 years ago. It's been 10 years. Yeah, it's been at least 10 years ago. So I was able to use a lot of the archive interviews I had, put it into the book. And then with regard to actually the journey of the book, that was probably started in 2019 in January, um, where um, a publisher, now my friend, our editor, um, Magdalene Abraha, she got in contact from Jacaranda Books and she had this vision for this whole series to come to life and asked if I was interested in writing about African music. So, um, yeah, it's definitely been a journey and, you know, came out in 2022 and the other two years, so which, you know, a lot of us tried to erase through COVID, but yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a journey just to, to be here. Was it easy or hard to write the book? Let's put it on the screen. It was on a, a scale of one to ten. One to ten. Like we, greatest day. In the least and ten being the hut. I'd say it's around seven. Wow. Yeah. I was, in, I was lucky in terms of having a lot of the interviews I've done before. Yeah. But then on top of that, they were like, and having chapters. Mm-hmm. So it was like almost chronological from Afrobeat all the way to Afrobeats. But the hardest thing I think was looking at chapters such as the Bugger High Love chapter yeah. or the Feather chapter where I was trying to say something a little bit more original, go a bit more deeper, but also knowing the weight of the past and trying to do that justice. So I think that was always in my mind because I knew that no one had written a book about the movement. Yeah. So that was like probably the hardest. And obviously when it dropped, just, you know, trying to get the balance right because I'm from Ghana and a lot of the time with the music we kind of get erased yeah. in the conversations. So I try to like get more of a balance of a go after that, yeah. But so let's go to the research part. So I have read halfway through the book and um the part about filler yeah. and the part about the bugger high life. Where did you look? Who who did you even talk to? With the fellas part there was a lot of I think for the the whole book in general, but in particular those parts, there was some academic studies that I found on um, online through this website called Academia. So I was able to kind of tap into to that for Fela and also for the bugger, some of the bugger highlight as well. I think YouTube was a great resource to use. There were a lot of some documentaries, I think it was about a Chinese television network. They'd done like a free part that I watched quite a lot and then on top of that with Fela there was a his official website it looked like linked with his family that they they've in the last couple of five years they've really brought a lot of um, 
unseen images and artwork to kind of show his uh, trajectory as an artist. So I used that quite a lot. Um, and there was a book by um, an ethnomusicologist, one of the best in my opinion, called John Collins. He's based here in Ghana called African Pop Roots. So I used that um, quite a lot in terms of following that timeline and seeing his impact um, as well. But the Bagai life was definitely like one of the most challenging because there was barely anything. Like also, you documented it well because it, it followed a certain order. Yeah. And I was able to read through it and I appreciated that chapter more because it followed a certain order. I Who started and it was almost like a marathon, mm. uh, really. Somebody's giving this to somebody and then it continues from there. So I, I really appreciate that No, thank that you. Chapter. That's probably ugly one of my favorite ones because I still, I love the music and I love the fact that so many things are happening politically at the time, yeah. but they were still able to make this music. So, yeah. Okay, so why did you decide to document our music um, lineage and start a public dialogue that would shape its narrative? What's the driving force behind this book? I think the driving force for me is giving back. You know, I've been very lucky to come back to this country or be back on this continent since the age of six. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first time coming back and you're stepping off the aeroplane, and the humidity he slaps you in the face and you get your, you get your cover of your first mosquito bites as, as and getting your shed. Um, you think, oh, after a couple of days, you know, I want to go back. But then the more and more you come back and you see people who are similar age as you and you recognise that as much, but they still make do. It gives me like an energy or gives me like a, a whim to do more with regard to being proud of this side of my identity and ensuring that, you know, Ghana's cultural legacy isn't left behind. Because I know we're very, we're very kind of laid back. When it comes to putting together yeah. our history. And, and documenting and showing and having pride in that, do you know what I mean? Nigeria's two, two million plus a whole diaspora. And regardless, they're always right. But I think sometimes with us, the lineage and the richness of history is there, but we're not so forthcoming with regard to kind of reinforcing and yeah. showing up pride all the time. So I think with this book, I really wanted a lot of people to um, reaffirm or understand where we've been, where we've come from, but also where we're going and knowing there's so many role models out there that are from here or from the UK or from America who have that kind of dual heritage and they should take a pride in that. So I hope this is like the start of the conversation yeah, and I know there's going to be more books or more things that are going to come around this year. I mean, how does it feel being the true wizard? You started something like this. I said, yeah, it feels good. I think when you have conversations more like people like yourself um, and people who maybe have like an inkling into maybe a chapter I've, I've written about in a book or who were there and they give you their memories at the time. It's amazing because for me, it's all, always been about call and response yeah. and thinking about what more this could be. You know, one day this could be like a documentary or it could be like a film yeah. to be based around or, or speaking to more elders who are still around and for them to give their kind of more, give, give more of the context as to what it was like to, to 
make this music and the, the risks the opportunities they took so it's yeah it's taken a while for me to understand this idea of a trailblazer yeah but um yeah to, to to give back and to have people share the memories around this is incredible i mean when i read the fellas but let me be honest i my father would play fellas music every saturday morning was yeah. cleaning in the house yeah. and it was so annoying because i didn't understand he just loved the music so much and every time i listen to fellas music or i read it in the book or something my mind just goes back goes back to that saturday morning where we're cleaning where he was he was jamming to zombie all over the place and yeah. i really appreciate it but i mean we can't so back to this fella conversation, we can't talk about Afrobeats without talking about fella's contribution to the rise of this type of music. In your book, you write, Kuti's legacy is that of a pioneer who was able to use his generational privilege to change the perception of Africa. With Africa at the heart of Kuti's Afrobeat, West African music was pushed to unimaginable ways. What is the difference between Afrobeat and Afrobeats? This question. With the S. And has this Afrobeat generation of musicians contributing towards telling the narrative and changing the perception? So for me, Afro Afrobeat is about that political consciousness that comes through in a social commentary, of which you no know, fellow was very forthright with pushing to the forefront. That itself inspired by a lot of funk, um, soul, blues, and you know him spending time in the UK. And in America, and understanding the plight of the black person internationally away from quote unquote the ancestral home, and then when the music's played, it's you know with instruments, it's it's a group. There isn't solely one person, but it's grounded in polyrhythms, a rich history and heritage, Thank you. which you know this you, you feel something. I mean, there are not many artists these days, you know, can play an, uh, a track for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's always with that cookie cutter three minute, yeah. three and a half minutes, like in a pop oh. realm, tops. So I think the fact that his music is still relevant today and it's always growing, it has many different layers, is the fact that people understand that you can't just jump into something. You need a, uh, a grounding. And I feel like with his music and uh, the artwork, is very considered to get every part of your sense and senses awakened. So I feel like that's what the Afro Afrobeat brings to the forefront. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's a sense of home and a sense of grand in it. It it makes you feel something. Yeah. With Afrobeats, I feel like it's a well travelled sonic departure where there's many different subgenres that can sit underneath that umbrella. Um and it speaks to obviously migration. It speaks to influences even from the, the Caribbean with, with dance hall back again into stuff like um, Afro Swing, which you have in the UK. And then even more latterly of late, I guess you could say drill to a certain extent. Because in, in when I listen to that, sometimes I could hear like Jamma, Panlogo rhythms yeah. as well in the subconscious of it too. So with with Afrobeats, I feel like the S allows you to go to a, a departure. And there's so many different, um, and that, even though it's not rooted in the instruments, mm -hmm. it speaks to, you know, 
maybe scarcity of having those instruments, but being able to use software to, to embed and have that come to the forefront. So we would read a part of your book, then we continue the conversation. Okay. So we are ready when you are. In my younger days, Sunday evenings were the purgatory between the underworld of the weekend and the zombie march of the school week. There I was, right before bedtime, scrambling to complete homework, two and a half days before the deadline. During this time in my life, British drama and factual shows were solely primed for Middle England. In these shows, there was not even a token black person in sight. For me and my peers, British television did not really speak to us, but the odd show here and there. We did, however, find a home in another medium, the radio. During the same time slots as the Middle England shows, there was a show called The Afrobeats Show, airing on black British radio station Trice FM. It was hosted by a young Ghanaian British DJ called Branchy. The show, for me, and many of us like me, came to be one of the most important shows we listened to. The Afrobeat show played a key role in the, eleva- in the elevation of African music across the diaspora and would become an entrenched feature in the lives of the many young African diaspora listeners. Trace FM was Britain's first licensed station playing music of black origin non-stop. Founded and launched in 1990 in Brixton, London by Patrick Berry and Stuart Reed. The radio station was a hub of black music within the UK and became a safe space for black British music as well as international black music. It would be in April 2011 that a young DJ called Abranche would launch what would become known as the Afrobeat Show on the station. The Afrobeat Show would air weekly equipped with Abranche's zeal for the sounds of West Africa. Alongside DJ Edu, who had his Destination Africa show on BBC One Extra, that first aired in April 2005, DJ Brante would be an early facilitator of the emerging Afrobeat sound in the early noughties. In 2019, the government of Ghana rolled out an initiative called the Year Return to welcome and encourage those of African descent back to the African continent via Ghana. During the Year Return, the cultural impact and influence of DJ Brante's radio show was shown in an interview clip between Abrante and US artist Jadena in Ghana. Jadena asserts to JD Jadena asserts to DJ Abrante, Afrobeats goes around the UK, Europe, the world, and then America, which really pushed it. Complete circle because of you. He added further, I believe you were one of God's pivotal soldiers. For you to do it is a sacrifice of body. You did it to give music to people, to spread the music around the world, so we have unity between diaspora and the continent. A testimony full of praise from an African-American artist of Nigerian heritage who found an initial safe space in the UK and DJ Branty's show. So, um, the book is part of a series. So talk to us about the series and what should we expect next? So the series is called The Quick Thing On. I think the idea of a quick thing is that, you know, a lot of us sometimes, or traditionally, who love different cultures around black topics, when it comes to reading, it seems like a very arduous and long 
talks to do. So a, tw- a quick thing is this idea where obviously it's a UK kind of slang phrase heralding from, um, I guess, the Caribbean, but it's the this body idea that literature or publishing is boring. Mm-hmm. It's that you have topics that you can relate to within yeah. that. So, you know, there's obviously my book, Cruces Afrobeats, there's one on plantain or planting, sure, from Jamaica. That's, that's, that's really much. Yeah, um, a black girl Afro. I've seen yeah. it. Um, yeah, shout out to saying that was on another a Ghanaian um, writer as well. Then you've got uh, Black British Theatre, the British uh, Black Power Movement, uh, bus- Business, Bamboo Earrings, so, um, and Grime as well. So a whole wave of first time authors were releasing mm-hmm. books um, in this series. But yeah, as I said, you have to herald or big up to Magdalene Abra, who's the, the visionary who came with the, this idea for all of us to write this series. And um, yeah, there's so much conversation. Uh, three books have come out so far. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the series coming out by the end of um, this year. And there are many more you know, conversations that will come. So, um, though the book largely focuses on music, your book also looks at Afrobeat and the representation of our African heritage and our identity. A quote from your book says, Afrobeat would bring with it a different intersection of class, identity and race, one that was for the first time rooted solely in Africanness. Now you go on to talk about how you were a child and you grew up in the UK to African parents and for you, Afrobeats represent home. Now, what role does Afrobeats play in representing black identity and pride? It's a good question. <laughs> I think, as I said, you know, I remember growing up and my mom would call my name after school with like, Kwame, Kwame, Enkofie, and I'd be like, my eyes would just been be in horror because to a lot of the people in school they just know me as my name Christian but then you know as time goes on more and more as I get older you know I recognise the the power and the, the meaning of the the name and traditions it comes from and I think partly as well if I'm honest there was a cartoon series back in the day called Captain Planet yeah. and one of the, the characters was called Kwame so I remember I used to like attach myself to that closely because there's someone who, lo- who looks like me, Zero Model, so much more. But I think what this music does in this movement is that there's, you know, there's a cultural medium for people to be proud of, attach themselves toward. Um, it wasn't so long ago where a lot of us, as I said, were a bit more shy in regard to not being able to see ourselves. But, you know, the, the dances, you know, the success of a lot of the football teams mm-hmm. in terms of the goal celebrations and then how close they are to a lot of the artists when it comes to um, other dance to the music in the, in the dressing rooms as well. Yeah. That's another layer that spreads the music yeah. uh, tenfold. So I think you know, having that pride and being able to see yourself near enough now daily by the subculture around this is only a positive thing. And I think a lot of creatives around, not even in front of the camera, but behind the scenes, will be able to do things that are a little bit more experimentative and have to explain themselves because there's value in this is a global conversation now. Okay. Thank thank you so much. Do you have any projects in the works or? Um, 
I guess separate. I think I've got there's a book coming as a new series from the same publishers um, called Mandem by Jacaranda by another uh, West African uh, writer called Iggy London. But that is more looking at um, black British males. Okay. So the across different um, topics, but on that it's an anthology, you know been able to write a book, uh, an essay about my favourite um, indie rock band and the lead singer, who for me was like a, a big inspiration growing up as well. So that's the next thing. It's coming out in March, in mid-March, so you guys can look out. We can't wait to have a copy. Yeah. Now, thank you so much, Kwame, for honouring my invitation to be here on this podcast. I know it was on a short notice, but you were able to make the time. How do we find you on social media? So on Instagram, it's at Cedofo underscore. Um, on Twitter, it's at Cedofo um, as well. So those are the main two kind of platforms on which uh, I'm on to you. Thank you so much. Um, please follow me on Instagram at Bukish Abna and on Twitter at Abna Marian. This show is powered by the Gold Coast Report. So listen to previous and subsequent episodes. Please follow them on Twitter at the GCR Labs and on Gold Coast at the on Instagram, sorry, at the Gold Coast Report. Um, until then, bye.